Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Alex Robinson, the online editor of Field and Stream, and this is the Field and Stream Adventures podcast. This is Field and Stream's first podcast, a seven-part series called Paddling Quetico. We're following a canoe trip through Quetico Provincial Park, a huge wilderness area along the Minnesota-Ontario border, spanning more than one million acres. Me and three others. I'm Steph Shelton. My name's Ben Romans. My name is Maddie Mahon. Gathered our gear and got ready to be dropped off in the middle of nowhere, Canada. And then we'd pedal our way back to the U.S. So if you didn't catch that first episode, go back and get yourself caught up to speed. Because when we left you last week, we were getting ready to board a float plane and everyone was a bit on edge. Ben had forgotten his passport, and Steph and Maddie were pretty much freaking out. This is a trip that's really out of my control. Like, it's out of my comfort zone. I don't know the maps. I haven't done much of the research, so that makes me nervous. And while we didn't know it yet, we actually had cause to be worried. We've been paddling for like three hours, and this is what is happening. Yeah, not good. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's backtrack a second. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Thermocell. Thermocell camp lanterns provide 300 lumens of light and keep mosquitoes, black flies, and no seams at bay. Check them out at thermocell.com slash mosquito dash repellent. The theme for this episode is adventure. Jim, our outfitter from Moose Track Adventures, has sent hundreds of people up into Quetico, and he couldn't resist telling us about trips that had gone awry. So Maddie left the room, and Jim told us about a trip he'd taken in the exact same plane we were about to board. I shouldn't even tell you this story because it might freak you out. So it was a father and son, and we had a, I think it was a noon pickup. So we had to get an early start to get up here by noon. And we're standing there waiting on this rock right here. It's where they usually drop you off, pick you up. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, here comes the, the, the orange, and you'll see the plane tomorrow. It lands on the lake, and he pulls up, and we load everything up. We had uh, my dog, Ruby, and, and their dog, which was a border collie. And uh, so we're sitting there, and the kid was only like nine years old, I want to say. Maybe eight or, yeah, nine. And uh, our pilot's name was Fernando. I even remember his name. And uh, so we, we get in, we push off the rock like we always do. And he goes and tries and attempts to start the engine. I'm sitting right here in the back. I'm watching him. And one of the, the younger uh, kid was up front. And uh, all of a sudden I see, I'm looking out the, the front window, and I see these... You know, they see the heat waves coming off of something that's getting really hot. Well, and I see Fernando get a little nervous, and he tried to start it again. And this time, now after he did that, then I started seeing smoke. So he he grabs the fire extinguisher, jumps out. Now we're about, you know, we're out in the middle of the lake now. Right. And he gets out, and he starts spraying fire extinguisher on on the outside of the engine. Because now there's smoke, there's flames, and it's getting a little interesting. Right, so, so, so he's trying to pray this thing out, right? And I, I'm going, this is, this time we got to get this the hell bad, out of here. Yeah. Fernando gets back in, and he just looks and says, "Get the <laughs> out of here now!" <laughs> I, I was already getting out of there now. Right, first thing we do, we actually threw the dogs out of the float plane. Literally threw them. Yeah. I mean, you, you, when you're in the float plane, you'll see you're you yeah, know it's six water, or seven yeah. feet drop. Mm-hmm. Threw them out, grabbed everybody's life jacket, jumped in the water. And we swam the shore. Meanwhile, Fernando's out there trying to put this thing out, and all of a sudden he he hit the he hit the main extinguisher, which is it puts the whole plane out basically. Mm. 
I hear this pop, 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 pop. And I look out, it's very surreal because I was on my back swimming in backstroke. And I see this, I see Fernando standing on the floats and there's this, this big, big black plume, right? Just kind of hanging over the lake. And this white stuff was all over Fernando and, and the plane. And he's like, I could just tell he was devastated. So the fire went out. So I paddled, I, I, I swam back out to Fernando to help him. And then between the two of us, we paddled the, 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 the boat or the, the plane over shore. And he says, well, I guess we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Not flying out I don't of this think thing. we're flying out of this thing today. You cannot tell this story to Maddie. I'm going to. You cannot. <laughs> tell it to her when she comes back. I will. <laughs> Just, yeah. By the way, Maddie, that plane was on fire a couple yeah. years ago. <laughs> Despite Jim's tales, when the call finally came that our float plane was en route, we were ready. We loaded our stuff into Jim's van and headed out to the lake for takeoff. Ben crossed his fingers. Maddie nursed a tiny bottle of Jägermeister. A short drive later, and there she was on the dock, the orange and yellow de Havilland beaver that would bring us into Canada. Our plane already had a couple of flights that morning, and our pilot was eager to load us up and get underway before the weather turned. But of course, there was still the nagging issue of if Ben could actually get across the border. And as we started to get things on board, the customs agent showed up. We held our breath as he checked Ben's passport copy, and then he gave the all clear. It was official. We're going to Quetico. Dude, I can't believe they let you go. I cannot believe they let you go. We did it, guys. We're going to Canada. Give us your last best piece of advice, Jim. Have fun. That's a good one. Yeah, Yeah, that is a good one. Relax and have fun. After the pilots strapped the canoes to the floats and we were scolded for overpacking, we finally climbed aboard. It's the easiest way. Okay. Put your right foot over first. Find this lower stair. And then just pull yourself up like that. (laughs) Split your pants. Try not to put any weight on there. All right, Steph. Do I go? You go. Me first. Yeah. The guy in the front first. Yep. All right, Ben. Look at such grace. Don't worry, we're like a mountain goat. Oh, yeah, we are. Oh. That's gonna be the last picture we're taking. Shut. Not a time for jokes. Ron's our pilot. He's a nice Canadian guy who loves curling the backcountry and flying this beaver. The beaver is this practical little bush plane produced in Canada from 1947 to 1967. And although there were only about 1,600 of them made, their sturdy, stripped-down frames have held up well over the years. Hundreds of them are still used across North America to take people into the backcountry. Okay, you guys, just a couple of things before we leave. Has everybody got a seatbelt? Yep. Your doors are your emergency exits. They're marked. Turn that either way, the door will open. For you guys in the back, the release is behind your backrest on the door. Up on the top right-hand side of the airplane, we have hearing protection. It does get a little loud on takeoff. And there's life jackets in these bags. Behind the co-pilot chair, no, not on this one. Uh, In front of the co-pilot, down by the rudder pedals, we have a fire extinguisher. In the rear of the cabin, we have a emergency locator transmitter. And there's a remote switch up here on the dash by my controls to operate that since if something should happen to me. In the cabin behind the passengers, in the floor, there's a hatch and there's a first aid kit and a survival kit. And just like that, we're airborne.
Maddie and Steph pulled out the recorder and tried to capture the scene from above. We're not too high up really yet. Um, I can see everything down below in really good detail still. Um, but it's, it's a little nerve-wracking. It's a little bumpy and uh, a lot of choppy waves down there. Yeah, I think we were told we were supposed to get to 4,000 feet. You have to fly 4,000 feet over wilderness area, so it'll take us a while to get up there. where we just took off actually we've done a whole circle to gain altitude I think yeah so Jim said he wasn't gonna leave until we were in the sky so he's probably just heading back now we did a full circle around the lake the view from the plane was incredible lake after lake emerged out of dense forest we could see tiny creeks rapids rivers and this all gave us an idea of what lay ahead but soon enough we found ourselves in the middle of dark clouds the beaver was tossed around in the wind and rain for most of the flight. Ron navigated from a paper map on his lap, which he correlated with what he was seeing on the ground. But even with the weather, Ron brought us down onto Clay Lake smoothly. I think we expected him to bring us to shore and help unload, but instead he just kills the engine in the middle of the lake, hops out onto the floats, and unstraps the canoe. The last thing he told us before he took off was, I wouldn't want to do this trip in seven days. As we started to paddle, Ron flew the beaver overhead, and suddenly, it was silent. There was nothing to do but keep paddling. In order to make it to our first campsite, we'd have to maneuver the winding Greenwood Creek, an area we'd been warned about by locals in Ely. Some years, log jams there are so bad that it's a near constant portage. Once past the Greenwood, we'd open into the Wauweag River and hit our campsite. We expected it to take about five hours, putting us in near sundown. At first it was beautiful, paddling down this tight creek with tall pines on either side, and we had this obvious path down the creek. And then it started. Rain. At first just a few drops and dark clouds, but then it grew heavy and hard. We could hear thunder rolling our way. We've all been caught out in a rainstorm before, and initially it was kind of fun. But the novelty wore off quickly as we started to get pummeled. The distant thunder turned into lightning flashing around us. Then it started to hail. Big, nickel-sized hail carried on heavy winds. Fifteen minutes passed. Half an hour, an hour, and the storm just wouldn't let up. We kept having to stop to dump our canoes as they filled up with water. We've been paddling for like three hours, and this is what is happening. Yeah, not good. As the lightning started to strike closer and closer, I hollered to Ben, who was in the canoe ahead of us, that we needed to get off the water. We pulled our canoes into the brush along the river and stood shivering as we waited for the lightning to stop. But it didn't. Daylight was fading, and we were still at least a mile from camp. It was impossible for us to pitch our tents anywhere along the thick, boggy riverbank. We were getting cold and fast, and we'd be in real trouble if we couldn't set up shelter and get into dry clothing pretty soon. So what to do? Wait out the storm and risk hypothermia, or haul ass for camp and hope we don't get struck by lightning. Finally, Maddie made the call that we had to get moving. So we pushed the boats back in the river, put our heads down, and paddled like hell. And then, with darkness falling, Maddie spotted a little camp near the rapids Jim had warned us about earlier. Our stuff was soaked, the rain was still coming down, but we threw up a tarp and huddled together underneath it. We'd made it. It's our first night. And it was pretty 
horrible paddling here, right? Could we say that objectively? Yes, I think we could objectively say that. It rained probably about 80% of the time, and some of the time it was hailing, uh, just raining as hard as it possibly could on us, thunder and lightning, <laughs> pretty close together, just all you could pretty much imagine. I mean, honestly, we were getting our asses kicked out there. Like we, at one point, Maddie was like, we just need to pull up and go. Um, so that's what we did and made it to our campsite, like set up everything in the rain, everything soaked, fried some steaks on a two stoves that Ben got lit somehow and just like ate them and drank whiskey and uh <laughs> and we're all cold and wet and freezing and it's our first night we also had some other mishaps what else happened ben lost a water bottle in the lake we had some trouble with our tarp but i think we sorted that out it's a little awful ben how are you feeling as the resident senior of the group <laughs> i'm tired I feel old cold wet but happy i'm full we're safe it was fun. It was an adventure. Actually, the f it was a true adventure. This first day was a real adventure. We flew in a float plane. We went through the worst weather I've ever been in. And we didn't even get to fish. We didn't even get to water line. <laughs> I was hoping tomorrow is better. That's all I hope. Yeah. Dry would be nice. Yeah. Go for dry. So tune in next week when our luck changes for the better and we finally get to go fishing. Alex, this is amazing. I've already caught a fish on my third cast. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Thermocell. Thermocell camp lanterns provide 300 lumens of light and keep mosquitoes, black flies, and no seams at bay. Check them out at thermocell.com slash mosquito dash repellent. And also Moose Track Adventures, providing guide services and outfitting to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area and Quetico Provincial Park. Find them at moosetrackadventures.com. This Field and Stream podcast was produced by myself and Maddie Mahon. And now, for your Ben Romans moment of the week. You down with OPP? I was testing this out. It's working. <laughs>